Welcome to episode 159 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you on a beautiful day in Austin, Texas. I'm excited to talk to you today about my topic, which is going to be long-term planning with your running. One of the things I try to emphasize as a coach is for athletes to think about their running future in 18-month, potentially even 24-month blocks of time so that you can make sure that you're addressing all the things you need to address in those longer planning cycles in order to keep making steps towards your long-term goal. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And in particular, I'm going to be talking about how that applies to me as I'm currently in the process of starting to think about some of my own long-term planning. So I wanted to give you some insight into that. Before we get there, though, we've got some current events and other shout-outs to give for this intro. First of all, I want to give a shout-out to Allison Wade, who writes the Fast Women newsletter, which if you don't subscribe, I would highly recommend subscribing. You can get the link to that by going to at fast underscore women on Twitter. And she's got the link to subscribe in her Twitter bio. But it's basically a Twitter account and then a newsletter that comes out every Monday that's dedicated to current events in the world of women's running. And it gives you a really good Monday rundown of all the last week's happenings for women's results and performances, as well as podcasts that women are on. And this past episode, the one that actually came out today, Monday, as I record this, actually gave a shout out to both the Running Rogue podcast, as well as the Clean Sport podcast for for our interviews with women on those two podcasts. So I wanted to thank Allison for giving me that shout out. And thanks to those women who came on those episodes, she had mentioned the Dina Evans episode, which was episode 158 for the Rogue Podcast, and then she mentioned the Amelia Boone as well as the Emma Coburn episodes that we just put out, the last two episodes for the Clean Sport Podcast. So thanks to, again, thanks to Allison for that. And if you haven't already subscribed, then I would highly encourage you to subscribe to Allison's weekly updates and follow her on Twitter at Fast underscore Women. Really, really good stuff, really good updates on current events for women's running. So that's one thing I wanted to give a shout out for. Second thing got to give a shout out for is to you guys as listeners. I think by the time I publish my next episode, then I will have hit uh, through through almost three years of work, one million downloads across these 159 episodes by the time we get to 160. And while others have done it faster, certainly, that's a pretty big milestone in the world of podcasts and shows a a commitment to consistent production of content, whether you like it or not. So thanks to all of you for downloading, for listening. And I really appreciate Not only you taking the time to listen, but also the feedback I've gotten through email through the years. It's been really helpful in in keeping pushing forward. And I will definitely be reevaluating as we go into the new year, 2019, sorry, 2020, what the future of the podcast looks like. So if you have perspectives, advice, 
what you'd like to see from me coming in 2020 in terms of content and episodes, then please do reach out to my email, chris at roguerunning.com. But again, thanks to you guys for getting me to that 1 million download mark. That is a lot of hours of recording, but also a lot of hours of listening for you guys. So thank you again for that. And then let's turn to some current events. We've got in no particular order here. First of all, looks like yesterday, some big results in the world of marathoning, especially women's marathoning, as the Valencia Marathon went off with some really, really impressive times. Rosa Derege, who actually DNF'd from the World Champs, ran a 2.18.30 to earn a PR at the Valencia Marathon in Spain and to slot in at number eight all-time on the world list. She also pulled three other finishers in under a 2.19 clocking as you had four women break 2.19 in that race where you had another Ethiopian athlete, Abreja, was 2.18.33, which was a massive three-minute improvement for her. And then you had a couple of other athletes, Burhani Dababa and Vivian Churyat, just a little bit behind in 218.46 and 218.51. And then you had another athlete under sub 220, Saneba Yimer, who ended up running 219.27 to get under that 220 barrier. So lots of women, five women there under 220, including four under 219. All of those women, incidentally, wearing vapor flies. So again, the debate continues as to what is the impact of the shoes versus the humans. And that debate continues to rage. On the midside in that race, it was fast, but not quite as fast in the grand scheme as you had four men dipping under 205. And including the athlete Gia Odola, who gave... Kipchoge a run for his money a couple years ago at Berlin, but you had in the end the winner was Ethiopian Kende Alayu, who ended up in a two or three fifty one. Adola ended up actually in third, rounding out the podium in two oh four forty two. But again you had four four athletes, four men under two oh five in that race. So also fast on the men's side, but not quite as epic. As the women's side. So that's Valencia Marathon. Another interesting bit of news in the world of marathoning slash track racing is that Mo Farah announced that he's going to be heading back to the track and looking to compete in the 10K in the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, potentially foregoing the marathon marathon altogether to focus on the track and try to follow his gold in London and then gold in Rio with another gold medal in Tokyo to become potentially the first man ever to get three straight gold medals in the 10K in the Olympics. So that would obviously be huge for him and has big implications in the marathon as he won't be competing there, at least potentially won't be competing there. So. We shall see how that plays out for Mo, and it'll be interesting to see how he goes back to the track, how his transition back to the track 
goes and he'll be facing world champion Joshua Chiptagi, the Ugandan who won the 10K in Doha to see if, if he can get back on top of the podium there in Tokyo. We shall see. That will be an interesting head-to-head between those two athletes. Now we've got to turn to turkey trot results as we had, you know, as always, some epic results on Turkey Turkey Day. Happy Thanksgiving, belatedly, by the way, to everyone. We always have some big races, including the Manchester Road Race, which happens in Manchester, Connecticut. That was one this year that did not disappoint as it came down to a kick finish on the men's side between Eric Jenkins and the defending champion, King Cesarek, Edward Cesarek, who also had the the course record from last year. So the two of them went head-to-head. Over over the end, over the final bit, and Cesarek tried to make a move from a little further out, but ultimately got kicked down by Eric Jenkins, who was the former Oregon Project athlete, former former University of Oregon athlete, who ran really really well and seems to be back on form. So that's good to see for the Americans' chances in the 5K, and and then we had in that race. On the women's side, Edna Kiplagat took the win by 13 seconds over Sally Kibiego, who, as we know, is trying to make an Olympic team in the marathon. So clearly here in this fall, working on speed before she focuses on building to the trials in Atlanta. So a good, a good day in Manchester. Fun, fast races on a windy day there. And then on the other coast, in the Silicon Valley Turkey Trot, which is always hotly contested, you had Shannon Robry beat the likes of Ken Con- Kim Conley and Emily Enfeld, as well as Stephanie Bruce in the 5K there in the Silicon Valley Turkey Trot. And then that race on the men's side had Aaron Templeton, David Bett, and Brian Barraza the University of Houston product to go one, two, three on the men's side in that race. The men's race was won in 1354 on the roads there. And then the women's race, Robri ended up running 1541 on the roads there, which is incredibly fast, showing that she's on good form in this fall base training as they might be preparing that group for U.S. indoors coming up in February timeframe. The other turkey trot update I had to give is is I was very proud to have all of my kids, I have a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a 10-year-old run the turkey trot with me and my wife. We did a 10K in Houston, and everybody finished, including my six-year-old, who decided that she was going to do the 10K. And it was really, really, really crazy, really fun, really cool to see her so determined to do it. We had we had actually had our boys, the older two, run the 5K a couple of years ago when they were seven and were about to be seven and about to be nine. And so they did the 5K there a couple of years ago. Last year they did the 10K, the two boys did it at the ages of nearly eight and nearly 10. And so this year we asked Elena, my six-year-old, if she wanted to do the race with us encouraging her to consider the 5k and she she would have none of it 
she calls her brothers the brothers and she said well if the brothers are doing the 10k i'm doing the 10k and in spite of me trying to talk her out of it she would not she would not be held back and decided to do the 10k and i told her i said look if you're going to do the 10k if you start you have to finish so just be aware and she's run before couple of miles with us around the house and so she's been out she also plays soccer so she's active really active child does a lot of running but obviously test stepping up to a 10k is a big deal for a six-year-old and she's about to be seven in january so i told her try to explain to her what was in front of her that this was going to be at least twice as far as she's ever run before and she said no if the brothers are doing the 10k i'm doing the 10k was insistent so we decided to let her do it and damned if she didn't run the 10k she finished in one hour and 13 minutes pretty much ran the whole way just kind of a steady consistent pace just over 11 minute miles she had one pit stop she had to go to the bathroom a a pit stop at mile four or so where we had to jump into a a coffee shop right there on course because she had to go to the bathroom and that kind of was a three-minute break or so, and then we jumped right back in, and she just kept grooving at a steady pace. Ended up running 113, including that three-minute pit stop, and her her brothers ended up running 106 and finishing in a sprint finish. My eight-year-old edged the 10-year-old there at the end. So pretty cool to do that as a family, and I ran with Elena the whole time. Amy, my wife, ran with the brothers. And they collected their medals, and Elena in particular has been wearing hers around ever since, which is really, really cool. And she was just so determined, didn't complain at all. She, you know, walked a little bit around that pit stop, but didn't really walk otherwise except walking through water stops. And was just so determined, so fierce, and was smiling even at the end as she came to the finish. So it was pretty cool. It was kind of interesting seeing. You know, everybody was super supportive out there for the most part. I did get a couple of dirty looks, people thinking that, you know, I was doing something bad to my kid, making her run a 10K, but truly she wanted to do it. And I did some research trying to figure out if this was a smart thing to do or not. And actually, if you Google it or look it up, there's really very little research on the effect of distance running in children. There's some evidence in gymnasts that you know, heavy impact can cause in in small gymnast bodies can cause potential challenges with growth plate development and things like that. But nothing really in running. And in fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics says this, which is there's no reason to disallow participation of a young athlete in a properly run marathon as long as The athlete enjoys the activity and is asymptomatic. That was actually referring to an article I was reading about younger kids running potentially marathons, like middle middle school age kids doing marathons. And so that was the statement from the American Academy of Pediatrics, which really focused on, you know, basically the the kid being pain-free and enjoying the activity. And really... That's kind of the way I look at it. You know, it's not like my six-year-old is in training specifically for running, but she plays soccer, is active outside quite a bit. So she's doing a lot of 
training that is all coming in the form of things that she enjoy, enjoys doing, fun sports, things like that. And the same thing with the brothers. They play soccer. And the way I look at it, if they can run 60 minutes on a soccer field for a game and sometimes even longer than that in practice, then you know why can't they go run an hour and six minutes or an hour and 13 minutes for a 10K? as long as they're having fun and they want to do it and I'm, I'm not forcing them to do it. And that was certainly true in this case. And really Elena kind of led me the whole way. She at one point was pushing the pace and I tried to get her to back off a little bit and she just kind of put her hand up and basically told me to talk to the hand. She was not going to be, she was not going to be contained. So anyway, so that was, that was a lot of fun. And as a parent, my perspective on it again is the kids are enjoying it. If they're driving the activity, if they want to do it, then who am I to stop them from participating in an activity where they can move their body and hopefully have fun doing it and do it with us as a family, which creates a cool bond. So, so while it may not be for everybody, that's what the McClung kids were doing on Thanksgiving Day, which is really cool. So you've got one proud dad here after after getting that after she got that done on Thursday. All right, let's turn to our main topic today. I want to talk about long-term planning with your running. And to tee this up, I just want to also point you to episode 54 where we talked about macro cycle planning. How do you think about your training in big blocks? And some of the topics that we'll cover today, we also covered there. I think in that episode, I was a little bit, we were a little bit more more pragmatic, a little more focused on actual training information and how you want to string specific cycles together with others. And today I'm going to talk about bigger picture concepts. And I've got eight different things you should be thinking about when you're thinking about long-term planning. And I want to make the case for this to just simply say, you know, I think there's a couple of reasons why long-term planning in your running is important. And a lot of us get in the get stuck in the rut of thinking about a 5-month cycle at a time or maybe even a 3-month cycle for some people just thinking really short term really focused on the next goal only and when that goal is accomplished then they think about the next goal which might be in another 3 to 5 months and while you know there's nothing wrong with that approach i want to pitch this idea that if you think about your running development in longer blocks of time and i really think 18 months is sort of the minimum Two years is probably the maximum you want to think about because beyond that, it's really hard to do too much planning as a lot can change in a couple of years. But the reason I think it's important, one is to make sure that you're developing all of your systems towards a long-term goal. And two, because I think if you have a long-term view of the races that you're doing, of your overall planning, then it allows you to enjoy it more because you can in each moment understand the context upon which you might be doing a specific workout or a specific training block because it fits into a bigger picture of training 
And then, you know, ultimately, I think if you think in long term cycles, those two elements will also lead to the fact that you'll get better results. That while you might maybe sacrifice some short term gain in certain situations, you're going to be playing a long term game that will ultimately get you to a higher place if you're planning in those bigger chunks. So, so that's the case for it. Now I want to tell you a little bit of a story about how I've been thinking about it recently related to my own running because I'm about to end starting, well, really in February when I run the Austin Marathon. That'll be the end of a, I think it was a two-year cycle actually for me in planning that started a couple of years ago in early 2018. And so I'm about to reach the end of that planning in February of of 2020 when I run the Austin Marathon. And what I like to do in advance of that is just seed the idea and not necessarily make firm plans, but start to think about what might be next in that next cycle so that I'm always a little bit ahead in planning before I get to the end of a, of, of a cycle. And, and so that's been on my mind a little bit, although I, I don't like to necessarily think about it specifically, but rather just kind of let it come to me as, as I have thoughts on the topic. And when I was flying back from the Toronto marathon where a bunch of rogues went, 50 plus rogues went to race and I ended up doing the half there as a training run. I was flying back and we were flying Air Canada and we had a screen in our seat where we got to choose the movies like they have on planes these days. And so I decided to watch a documentary called The Dawn Wall, which I hadn't seen before, but it's been on my list for a while after watching Free Solo. And that movie, The Dawn Wall, actually predates Free Solo and is about one of the the people, one of the characters real life characters that was in free solo with with Alex Honnold but Tommy Caldwell was one of the climbers that helped Alex prepare for his free solo climb of El Capitan while well, he had been featured in a documentary called The Dawn Wall several years back and so I got to finally watch it on the plane and it it really is a good movie highly recommend it in some ways I think it's it's a little bit richer in storytelling than Free Solo. While I loved Free Solo, it was great. It really focused on one story versus the Don Wall has a couple of different stories to it that make it really interesting, including this crazy story about Tommy Caldwell and some climbing partners of his that were climbing in Kyrgyzstan and were kidnapped and held hostage and ultimately were able to escape from that episode but there's a whole crazy storytelling around that and then you also get this story about Tommy Caldwell's goal or what became his goal which is to climb the Dawn Wall and the Dawn Wall is a part of El Capitan in Yosemite that had been previously deemed as unclimbable. It's a part of the wall they call it the Dawn Wall because it's where the light first hits the wall in the morning and it was it is so smooth and without cracks that climbers had previously 
determined that it was unclimbable. So it was a section of El Capitan, and there's different sections, different routes. But it was a section of El Capitan that was previously deemed unclimbable. And Tommy Caldwell, after his wife left him, and he was really distraught by that and and depressed and trying to get through that a difficult emotional time, he would go to El Capitan and he would rappel down from the top of the Dawn Wall and just study it and try to figure it out, try to see if it was possible. So it became this borderline obsession, maybe not borderline, an actual obsession of Tommy Caldwell's that was born out of him dealing with some pain and suffering in his personal life that ultimately became the six-year journey to climb the Dawn Wall. He would get a partner that would help him along the way. And then even when he started to climb the Dawn Wall in 2015, he still hadn't actually climbed all the different sections. He'd only studied it, and there were certain sections that he hadn't yet climbed. But he set out on this attempt to free climb with ropes the Dawn Wall. It would ultimately take him 19 days with his partner to get it done on a route that was previously deemed unclimbable. And the way he ultimately did it was through a painstaking process of basically deconstructing the wall in smaller chunks by studying it by rappelling down from the top, studying it section by section, trying to piece together sections that could potentially be climbable. And he created this circuitous route that would eventually get him and his partner, climbing partner, to the top. In 2015, the first two athletes to ever climb the Dawn Wall. And so, fascinating journey, really impressive results. And when you watch the climbing, scenes from that movie, even though they have ropes in this one, it's still in my mind nerve wracking. My hands were getting sweaty just watching it. And while that's an extreme example of somebody facing a long-term goal, and you can argue whether or not that's healthy as a human to have that kind of obsession and whether or not it's healthy as a person for a person to deal with emotional trauma that way, regardless Tommy was able to climb the Dawn Wall because he, over a period of six years, became singularly focused on something. And then by by deconstructing it into its smaller piece parts, was able to then reconstruct it into accomplishing this goal of being the first one to ever climb it. And while there's nothing in my life that, that that's that crazy extreme or that will take six years, it got me thinking personally about some of my goal setting. And it was one, a reminder that, you know, that, that if you want something, then you should be willing to take multiple years to get it. And in Tommy's case, it took him six years to climb the Dawn Wall. I don't think he knew it would take that long. In fact, he seemed committed to it regardless of how long it took. But I think there are parallels to running in that if you want something bad enough in running, then it takes sometimes years of being committed to it to go get it. And that's okay. There's a, it's, it's a worthy pursuit that can be a multi-year process. 
And in today's world of I want it now or yesterday or tomorrow, oftentimes we aren't really thinking about our goal setting in bigger chunks. And so it was just a reminder and a reinforcement for me of that fact. And it, in some ways, the movie held up a mirror for me of saying, okay, well, if I'm going to get my big goal, which is for me, something I've always wanted to try to do is run under 240 in the marathon. And so far, my PR is a 245. I've got another five minutes to go get, which doesn't seem like a lot. But for me, as someone who's at the edge of his talent, that's a lot. That's a big jump to go from 245 to 239.59. But it's still a goal that I want to get. And so I was reminded that even though I've been doing this for 20 years, running consistently and really in many ways etching closer to that goal all along the way, it was a reminder that it still might be years away for me to go get that goal if I really want it. So that's one thing is it's okay and really actually important, especially in running, to think about things in long-term blocks of time. In addition, it got me thinking about this concept concept of deconstructing something and then reconstructing it in order to get what you want. And for me as a runner who has been consistently training for a long time, consistently developing my aerobic system for a long time, it is going to require me, I think, especially at my age of 40 years old, to potentially deconstruct my body and then reconstruct it again in order to go get that sub-240 goal. I believe that I can incrementally get little chunks of time, maybe 30 seconds here, a minute there, maybe even two minutes here or there by continuing down the same path I've been following for the last 20 years. But in my opinion, if I want to make a step change improvement and go from a 245 to a 239.59 and really open up the possibility of getting that goal, for me now, I need to actually deconstruct my body and then reconstruct it in a in a little bit of a different way in order to get that goal. I'm going to come back at the end about what that might look like for me, but watching that movie got me thinking about it and it's got me thinking about from February 2020 and to the next 18 months to 2 years what that might look like for me in order to go get that sub 240 goal. So I'll come back to some of the thought process on that. But what I wanted to do now is give you eight things to think about when you're thinking about long-term planning towards your goals in running. The first, which I've already kind of talked about, is that you need to be thinking long-term. And I really think 18 to 24 months is sort of that minimum range. And that's not to say that you need to have every single week or day planned out for those 18 months to two two years. No, it's just to say you need to be thinking about your blocks of time, 
you know, what are the training cycles within that 18 to 24 month window? What are they going to look like? And those, you know, three and four and five month chunks of time within those 18 months to two years, what are they going to be dedicated to? And ideally, what races will be associated with those chunks of time? What interim goals, what smaller short-term measurables will you be targeting for each of those so that you can hopefully get some bigger overarching goal? Which, by the way, if you're not crystal clear on that, then that's probably step one is figure out your overarching goal, your bigger long-term goal, figure out your purpose for that, and then get to planning. So you don't put the cart before the horse. But once you're at that place and you know what your goal is, think about it in 18-month to two-year windows. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to plan it every week or you have to plan it every day starting now. It just means you should be thinking about those three and four and five-month chunks of time and what you're going to be focusing on with each one of those. In episode 54, we talked a lot about that. So I would encourage you, and we talked about it more tactically, so I would encourage you to go check that out in addition, after you listen to this one. The other thing that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that it can't change. It just means that you've got a roadmap written in pencil that says, I'm going to be working on X for this three or four month window. Maybe it's speed. Maybe I'm going to be working on 5K, 10K training, speed training for this four to five month window. And then I'm going to be working on the half marathon for this window. And then I'm going to be working on the marathon again for this window, if you're a marathoner. So think about those chunks. Think about how it all fits together. But it must really be, in my opinion, to get the most effect, you need to be thinking about an 18 18 to 24 month blocks. But then you might ask, so that's number number one, sort of 18 to 24 months. The number two thing, and, and you might be asking next, you know, how should I be thinking about it? You know, what blocks are relevant within that window? And that's where, to me, the number two thing, and then ultimately the number three thing becomes really important. Number two thing is, what are your weaknesses? You know, it's it's interesting. You know, and there's kind of two schools of thought on this in general. You know, there's one school of thought kind of going around, especially in the business world, that says, you know, you should only work on, you know, you should really amplify fo- or focus on what not work on, but focus on amplifying your strengths and not worrying so much about your weaknesses. And while, yes, there's a time to amplify your strengths, I also think in running, especially distance running, unless you work on your weaknesses, then you're never going to reach that full potential. And so one of the things to think about is, you know, what, what are my weaknesses? What do I need to work on? What do I need to beef up, amp up, get better at in order to get Get, get your goal, whatever that may be. If I think about it for me, just as an example, if I'm thinking about the piece parts, about what's going to prevent me from running, you know, a 239, 59, and 
you know, I actually think about two things in particular. There's probably others, but two things in particular. One is raw speed. You know, at first when I first turned to running, I was coming from a soccer background, so doing a ton of you know short sprints followed by long jogs and then short sprints, and was pretty fast. And while I never ran track, you know, at at the time in college, I think the fastest 400 I ever ran was a 60 flat. And while you know that pales in comparison to what you know 400 pure 400 athletes can do, you know that's what I could do back then without specific 400 meter training because I was constantly sprinting on the soccer field. It's been a long time since I've run a 60 flat. And I may never again, but I've probably spent too much time in the last 20, 21 years focusing on the half marathon and marathon distance, even the 10K distance, and not enough time maintaining that short, raw speed. And while I've done weekly strides and things like that consistently over the course of the years, there there needs to be for me, probably a focus on 5K speed as an example in order to make a stepwise improvement so that I can go get a 239.59. And again, while I've done that in various blocks and and chunks of time, I've never probably given it the full amount of due that, it's, that it needs, especially now given that I'm 20 years removed from those soccer playing days. So that's one thing. Second thing for me would be raw strength and power. And and for me it's about really missing doing that from a from a from a power and performance standpoint. I do a decent amount of strength and mobility work that's that's more body weight oriented that's primarily related to staying healthy little exercises I've picked up through the years to keep to keep my body happy to prevent those notorious overuse injuries that, you know, have popped up here and there and that I know I have to do, you know, these activities in order to manage those things. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is kind of raw power. I'm talking about squats and deadlifts and Olympic style lifting, things that will generate power and resiliency that will not only help my speed but also help my late race resiliency in the marathon. And that's something that I've dabbled with, but I've never truly incorporated with on a full-time basis. Or I've never incorporated on a full-time basis, so that's something that I need to work on. So that's something that's going to go into the hopper of me thinking about my future as I think about it in 18 to 24 month blocks. So one timing, two thinking about weaknesses, three I think you got to think about what's going to be fun too and what's going to allow you to not only flex your body and work on those weaknesses, but also flex your mind and give you things that are going to be interesting and fun and maybe dynamic or races that you're excited about doing because you've been thinking about them for a long time and just have never done them. So you got to also think about what's fun. And I'm a big believer that if you're not motivated to train, it's going to be hard to be consistent in training. And so make sure 
as a part of this that you're thinking about, you know, what are the races you want to do that you've been thinking about for a long time or that you could make a trip out of or that you can get some training partners to go with you and and make it fun. Those are the pieces you got to think about too. You know, for me, doing this 50-mile race over the summer, even though it's kind of masochist to say a 50-mile race is fun, that was really an opportunity for me to get away from the roads, do something different, focus on a little variety and diversity in my training. And through that entire cycle, one of the themes for me training for that 50-miler was I was only going to do runs and long runs and go to trails that were going to be interesting and fun for me. And I wanted to not do, you know, any run twice. And really I didn't, except for one, one run, some hill climbing on Mount Pinal, I didn't do any of my runs more than once in, in training. Now that doesn't mean that I didn't have runs that looked similar, but I hit different trails every time I went to the trail I did different hill work on different roads in Austin when I was doing hill work. And it was really about variety and diversity and keeping it fun so that when I got to that race, it was a, you know, a diversion, a mental diversion from the grinds of the road. And that's going to look a little bit different for everybody, but you want to make sure that in those components that you're putting together, you have pieces that are fun. Now, that's not to say that you're going to necessarily be super excited about every little component in there. Sometimes we have to do things that we don't love to do. But I think I would argue that you could actually find, you know, something interesting and different in any little chunk of time, whether that be a different race that you've been wanting to do. Again, the opportunity to travel somewhere, but find a way within the objective to make it to make it fun and interesting. So you got to kind of marry working your weaknesses with finding things that are going to be fun for you. And then there's a couple of other pieces I think as a part of that number 4 I would say you know you also want to work on range and diversity of training stimulus or stimuli. Because you know you can't sit there and work the same parts of your aerobic system, work the same distances every single cycle and expect to get faster. In order to be better at the marathon or in order to be better at the half marathon, you have to work the other distances too. With the marathon, that means you need to be working the 5K, 10K range, you need to be working the half marathon range, you need to be working the marathon range. And your 18 to 24 month plan should include that kind of range and diversity in your training blocks so that you can work all systems and develop, again, those weaknesses, but also just making sure you're checking all the different boxes. And if you're not doing that, you're probably falling short, which in general means that there probably shouldn't be, if you're a marathoner, more than two marathons in an 18 to 24 month block. And maybe for some of you, only one marathon so that you can, again, work the full range of the systems so that you can ultimately be a faster marathoner. And if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, 
If you can run the 5K faster, then you're going to be a faster marathoner. If you can run the 10K faster, you're going to be a faster marathoner. You can run the half marathon faster, then you're going to be a a faster marathoner. All of those training distances or, or training for those other distances works to support your ability to run faster for the marathon. So while you may not be, if you're primarily a marathoner, specifically training for a marathon at any given time, within these blocks of of thinking it's all still contributing to making you a better marathoner you can train for a marathon without actually doing a marathon and that is actually sometimes some of your best training so that's another thing to think about is range making sure that you're working all parts of the system and 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 in actuality there was a a recent Alex Hutchinson sweat science article where he talked about the importance of sprint training for distance runners in ultimately making them faster all the time. So go check that one out on on Alex's sweat science blog. If you just Google Alex Hutchinson outside magazine sweat science, you can find that near the top of his blog there. So that's number four. And then let's think about some other things here. This next one kind of relates to how you start to piece things together. And it's really important that you don't work more than one thing, or or I should say you can't work two things at once. You have to focus on one primary improvement opportunity, one primary improvement vector, so to speak, as you do this, and you can't work on more than one thing at any given time. You can't work on the marathon while you're also working on speed. You can't work on incorporating strength training into your team while also trying to become a faster marathoner. That just doesn't work. You have to work one thing at once. You have to work one race distance at once. And while that may not mean that you don't do other distances, because sometimes, you know, racing a 10K might lead you or be a prep race for a half marathon, or racing a half marathon might be a prep race for a marathon, you want to have one primary goal objective per mini sub cycle within the bigger macro cycle. So that you're primarily working one thing with one associated goal in each block. Can't chase two rabbits is the great quote from Elliot Kipchoge. You can't chase two rabbits at once. You have to only chase one rabbit and nothing is more true in distance running. And there are often times where I have conversation with athletes and they say, well, I want to do this and this and this all in one given period of time and while certainly you could potentially do three things at once you can't optimize three things at once and if you're really thinking about building towards a long long term goal then you're thinking about optimizing and so pick an objective for each sub block within your bigger plan and stick with that objective for me, going back to 
the objective that I talked about. I cannot incorporate strength training into my routine, performance power-oriented strength training in my routine at the same time that I'm trying to work on raw speed. Now, certainly there's some overlap in those two things, but if I'm going to go run my fastest 5K, it's not going to come on the back of a three-month block where I'm just trying to incorporate Olympic-style lifting permanently into my routine. That is not optimizing for 5K training. While it might help me improve my speed in the long term, those objectives need to be accomplished in distinct training blocks within this 18 to 24 month window that I'm thinking about. So that's another that's so that's number five. As we start to think about how do you piece this thing together? And then a related point to that is that you need to make sure you have enough time for each of the objectives, for each of the mini blocks for the overarching goal within a given, you know, micro cycle within a overall macro cycle. And that means typically that you need to give yourself 12 to 20 weeks to accomplish something. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, hey, I want to incorporate strength training into my routine. And now I'm also starting marathon training for a race in 20 weeks or 16 weeks or whatever. And unfortunately, that's just not the way it works. You need to give yourself time to incorporate a given change objective goal or to accomplish a given objective or goal before you move on to the next thing. And typically, that's a minimum of three months of work. With streak training as an example, it takes about six weeks for your body to adapt to that kind of load while running. And I would say from there, probably another six weeks at least to to make it feel normal, to normalize that into your routine so that when you do bring heavy training back into the equation, then you can start to fit it all together. And if you think about training for a race with a given peak, you know, for our marathon training blocks, they're 20 to 24 weeks in length so that you can properly stage the periods to establish a proper base, then go into the right aerobic strength development, then go into the right race-specific speed development before you taper. That's how long it takes to properly train for a marathon. For a half marathon, you know, it's going to be 16 to 20 weeks. For a 10K, probably, depending on what your starting point is, you know, 10 to 16 weeks. So we're talking about big chunks of time in order to accomplish objectives along the way. And unless you give yourself the proper amount of time to work on each of those mini objectives, then you're going to sell yourself short. You know, all the time I have people come to me and say, hey, I'm training for this race and it's in 10 weeks or eight weeks. Well, unfortunately, while you can maybe do that race in eight or 10 weeks, you can't optimize your preparation for a race in eight to 10 weeks. And therefore, you can't then optimize from that race to your next objective. And so you've got to give yourself plenty of time to accomplish these things. And, you know, oftentimes I would say, when you're doing your planning, you're penciling in, give yourself more time than you think it's going to take because why not? 
patience and consistency will get you there if you give yourself the amount of time to to accomplish these things. So that's number six. Give yourself time for each of the little blocks within your overall overall plan. A couple of more things as we wrap this discussion and then I'll talk a little bit about how this applies to me. But the next thing I want to talk about is that obviously in addition to making sure you have enough time for your individual objectives across this overarching 18-month to 24-month plan, you also want to make sure you have time for recovery, for breaks, not only physical but mental. You know, after a marathon, it takes three weeks to recover from it. It just does. Not only physically, but also mentally. And that all that might mean you're still running some during that three-week period. You need to let that running be a little bit looser, maybe not incorporate a lot of rigorous speed work again until that three-week period is has passed. Again, not just physical, but it's also mental, giving your mind a break from heavy focus training. You need those windows. It's a little bit less after a big half marathon result. You know, maybe you can get by with one to two weeks recovery or a 10K, again, one to two weeks after those distances. But you need to give yourself that time post-race to properly recover physically, recover mentally, and then reflect and prepare for what's next. There's a natural detraining that happens when you do that, but that is a part of the process. That detraining then allows your body to not only consolidate the fitness you've gained, but then also recover from the work that you've done so that you can build back to a higher place. So make sure when you're doing this overarching planning that you're building in those little chunks of time, especially after a marathon, to allow for that physical and mental break. And then the last thing, number eight, that I want to talk about is that there's certain things within the 18 to 24 months that I think are non-negotiable, regardless of what you're doing. And there might be more than three things, but I'm going to pick three things that no matter what happens, no matter what you're training for, no matter what your interim objectives are, there are three things that are always going to be true across 18 to 24 months worth of work. And those three things are strides, week in, week out, every week of the year, except for maybe the week after a marathon, the long run, and long, put that in air quotes because it's going to flex depending on where you are, but every single week. Again, excluding weeks where you're explicitly recovering from a big race. But every other week when you're in training is going to incorporate a long run. And then the third thing is routine. You want to try to maintain as consistent a routine with your running. And even though the volume might flex up or down depending on what you're trying to accomplish, to the extent that you can maintain a routine in terms of what days you're running, what days you're doing workouts, that's going to be critical. And that really probably doesn't change a whole lot, regardless of what your objective may be. The volume might change again. What you're doing on those days might change depending on your interim objectives. But that day-by-day routine of I'm running X days per week on these days, that's not going to change for the most part. That's going to be consistent regardless of what you're doing within those 18 to 24 months. And so make sure that no matter what, no matter what your intended objectives are, 
strides, weekly strides again, about six of them after a medium long run or another easy run during the week. Week in, week out. That's gonna and to use a an analogy I've been using recently, strides are kind of like speed allergy shots. They're little inoculations of speed that not only help you improve form over time, but they keep those fast twitch muscle fibers activated and present so that when you go back to any specific speed work, you're more prepared for it. Long run, that's the other end of the range. That's working the aerobic system, that aerobic foundation, making sure that you're maintaining that aerobic oxygen burning, oxygen processing foundation year round. Again, that long run distance is going to flex depending on what race you're training for, but maybe not as much as you think. You know, my in my opinion, someone who's in consistent training should be working up to a point where you're doing a 10 mile run pretty much every week. And, you know, there, there may be some flex around that. But for the most part, boom, 10 miles a week, no matter what. And for those that are, you know, have a little bit higher mileage, it might look like 12 miles a week or 14, or maybe even pretty much 16 miles a week at a minimum, depending on where you are volume wise. But there's some base level of a long run that you're going to be doing no matter what you're trying to accomplish in those 18 to 24 months. And then of course, routine, get your routine down, stick to it so that regardless of what you're training for, really what you're just changing is the nature of the work within that routine. But for the most part, you're cranking out those runs when you run every single week. That consistency breeds results. And that consistency, while it might look a little bit different, the jigsaw puzzle might fit together slightly different depending on your interim objectives or what you're trying to accomplish in a given three or four month block. While that might change a little bit, the fact that you're running every Monday doing a medium long run isn't likely going to change. So keep that going. So there you go. Those are the eight things. One, make sure you give yourself plenty of time to think about this planning, 18 to 24 month blocks. Two, make sure that you're working on your weaknesses. You've identified those. You know where you need to emphasize in order to get better. Three, make sure you have fun. You know what is going to keep you excited and engaged throughout. Four, work on range. Make sure you're working the full spectrum from 5K to the marathon if you're a marathoner. Five, you can't work two things at once. You've got to make sure that you accomplish one objective at a time in each of the interim blocks as you go. Six, Give yourself enough time with each of those interim blocks to make sure you accomplish the objective. And again, for the most part, that's anywhere from 12 weeks to 20 weeks, but will vary, of course, based on what you're doing. Seven, make sure you're building in those recovery blocks throughout. And then eight, keep those core pillars, those consistent elements, the same regardless of what you're doing. Strides, long run, routine so that you maintain that long-term consistency. Now, before I wrap this up by talking a little bit about what this will look like for me as I go for that sub-240 goal, I did want to open it up for any listeners who want to come on 
with me and do a podcast interview to talk about your 18 to 24 month plans and get some coaching from me on what that might look like, then email me, chris at roguerunning.com because I want to get a couple of listeners on and maybe more, I don't know, we'll see, to, to, to talk about it. I want to be able to make this more tangible and practical and applicable for everybody who might listening. So if you're interested in being a guinea pig for me and hopefully as a part of that, learning what you need to accomplish and getting some coaching from me on how to put together your next 18 to 24 month block. If you're interested in doing that and being willing to share that with the world, shoot me an email, chris at roadrunning.com. Would love to get at least a couple of listeners on so that we can so that we can talk about it and give give our listeners some more tangible examples to use along this along this line of thinking so that perhaps they can relate to it and, and plan better in their own planning. So please reach out if you're interested in getting some coaching from me and you don't mind sharing it with the world. Okay, lastly, as I wrap it up, what does this look like for me? Again, goal sub 240. I still think at 40 years old, I can still accomplish that goal. I still believe in my ability to do it. But as a part of that, I've got to do two things. One, incorporate strength for performance, really develop a sustainable long-term Olympic-style lifting program within my training to build power and muscular resilience as well as speed. And then and then two, I need to tap into some of that raw speed, that raw soccer speed that I'm now 20 years removed from developing and really focus probably on the 5K distance for a little bit of time, which... I've never given myself maybe more than a three-month or four-month block at a time doing that and really only done that a handful of times over the last 20 years. So that's something that's important. So when I think about the next block of time for me after this 18 to 24-month block now, which will end in February, then it's going to start for me with a strength training block. Still working on what that will look like but it's probably a four-month period of time where I will be reducing my overall volume, keeping in the routine on my, my running routine, but by reducing my overall volume and really focusing on incorporating a sustainable Olympic-style and power-oriented lifting program into my training. That will then flow into a speed-specific block where I'm focused on, again, the 5K distance I want to try to break 17 minutes, which I've never done in the 5K. And I think that dedicated block of training focused on that is something that that I need to do, which will probably take me actually through the end of 2020. And then after that, um, depending on how the race planning comes together, then I'll be looking to build to potentially a half marathon and then another marathon. Haven't figured out that latter you know, eight to 10 months of the plan, but I've got the first eight months kind of laid out, which will be specific power oriented strength building block followed by a speed block with hopefully as a part of that along the way, getting a 10 mile PR as well as I still need to break 60 at the run for the water for those that know that goal of mine. But then and only then will I turn back to the marathon and half marathon distances to go after that sub 240 and I haven't yet circled a race on the calendar as to when that will be but I'm starting to put those pieces together as I prepare for this 
this block of training did in February. And we'll be sharing my journey with you as well as bringing some experts on to talk about these things, specifically helping coach me up, but hopefully you can listen in and learn as I put together this journey and and I'm hoping to to share as much as I can, as much as people want to hear as a part of this sub 240, the sub 240 journey for me over the next 18 to 24 months, starting in February 2020. So stay tuned for that. But that's the early, the early stages of planning for me as I put this together to go after this big goal. And would appreciate you following along. We appreciate you listening in and hopefully along the way you can learn something about yourself. So there you go. With that, I'll wrap this episode 159. Thank you again for listening. Here's to 1 million downloads, which I should hit sometime this week. And of course, you can always check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.